Just like so many things I think we can do as humans, once you do it, you take that little step over and you look behind, you're like, why did I not do this before? Like, that was so easy. Why don't more people do this? They'll just see how easy it is when they do. Um, But it is scary to kind of look at that leap, and especially when you don't know anybody who's doing their life that way, um, to say, oh, is this going to be me? I don't know. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here with Carrie Nelson. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks. And where where in the world are you? Uh, right now, I am in Antarctica at a science base called Palmer Station. It's on the Antarctic Peninsula. Very cool. This is this is my first interview with someone that works in Antarctica. So I'm excited. <laughs> That's funny. There's a lot of us, and and we do lots of seasonal work in places other than Antarctica, too. We're kind of seasonal work addicts. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, how do you answer the question, what do you do? Um, I think I usually, it depends on who is asking. Um, But I'll generally say something like I do contract work for uh, U.S. science bases. And what what does that work entail? Uh, Well, for me, I am the station administrative coordinator, and that means I do things like managing tourism traffic that comes to visit Palmer Station, run the store, um, sort of coordinate uh, a lot of the activities that involve most of the personnel on station. So I keep a lot of plates spinning, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I'm part of the support contract. So uh, there we are about at this station, we're about half grantees or scientists and half uh, people working to help the scientists do their research. So I'm part of the support contract for Palmer Station. And what do you do in regards to the tourists? How do, are they coming in on cruise ships or are they flying down? Uh, here at Palmer Station, we get a lot of visitors every year by cruise ship. There are other parts of Antarctica. For example, when I was working at the South Pole, we would get tourists coming in by plane or they might ski in in a a bid to cross the continent on skis or on kites or whatever thing that they're doing to get across the continent. Um, There are tons of people coming across the South Pole and uh, all over Antarctica. Yeah, at McMurdo Station, they would come in by, by ship as well. So I'm I'm imagining because I in the summers I work in Alaska right on a cruise ship port we get like ten thousand people a day, and the usual thing that they do is either shop or you know they go see the bears or fish or they go on float plane tours. What are what are some of the usual things they do there? Well, I see the tourists mostly when they come to visit Palmer Station, and we are able to welcome a limited number of smaller cruise ships uh, during the season, and those folks can get off, and we have some people designated as tour guides, so we give them a brief tour of Palmer Station, talk about some of the science that we do. Um, They stop in the shop to look at things that have Antarctica printed on them, um, and then they're able to talk with some grantees and some other people at station. So they get about an hour 
on uh, the station proper and then um, hopefully float away a little bit better educated about the things that we do as a program. Um, so I know that it, people on cruise ships, depending on the size of cruise ship they're on, will maybe stop at some of the other countries' bases around the area, uh, maybe get a chance to hop off on one of the islands uh, near where there might be penguins or seals or something that they want to see. You know, there's there's all sorts of tourist activities. But what we see here is just giving people a tour of Palmer Station. Gotcha. What's like the perfect day, since you're on the inside of the scene, if one of your friends or family was coming to Antarctica and they wanted like the perfect day or what, what you think is like the best way of doing it, what would you tell them? Well, I guess um, it wouldn't necessarily be an experience that you would have as somebody coming down on a cruise ship. I think the best experience is to be had in Antarctica, which brings it back to your podcast topic, is are our, our head by those of us who are living and working down here. And so to experience the continent like we experience it, which is several months of watching the seasons change, watching the animals as babies, watching them grow up, watch them fledge or leave their moms and dads, kind of go out into the big bad world watching the weather patterns change, watching the light of the year change. All of that can be had only if you come down and work. And so that's one of the reasons that I really like doing seasonal work in Antarctica. Um, It kind of affords this opportunity to see the place in a way that you really wouldn't. Um, Even some of our researchers are only able to come down here for maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe six weeks, but they get nothing like the time that we get as contractors staying for an extended amount of time. So if I was able to get one of my family members or loved ones off of the cruise ship and they could kind of meld into the life that I have, I would say a perfect day for me is a a complete day off, uh, walking around our backyard area and up over our glacier or hopping in one of our small boats, our Zodiacs, and having somebody maybe drop me off at an island so I can explore one of the Antarctic islands sort of on my own or heading out to go look for whales in the area or see some of the wildlife. I think that's what's really special about the part of Antarctica that I'm in right now. Not all of Antarctica is like that, but that we are here on the peninsula, which is almost like the Florida of Antarctica. Very warm. This is where you're seeing all of those record-setting temperatures. This is where you're seeing and hearing about huge icebergs calving off. Um, so we're we're very warm here. That wouldn't be your experience at the South Pole, and it wouldn't be your experience at McMurdo Station, but it is for us here. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing day, seeing all that. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> so what are what are some other experiences you've had while working in Antarctica that are, you know, like once in a lifetime or just amazing or great stories that you like to tell? Um, Boy, I mean, there are lots of beautiful, beautiful things that I've seen on this continent. I've worked here for just over a dozen years now, so I've had a lot of opportunities to see some cool things. I think one thing that really stands out to me is watching uh, the southern lights, the aurora australis, the beauty, beauty greens and colors that whip over you. You'd see that if you're working in Alaska, of course, right? You see some gorgeous aurora borealis uh, up that way. Uh, But there's something just about being so far away and so distant from everyone and everywhere, uh, like you're the only one in the world watching it sometimes if you're out alone. And I think that's something that's really special. Uh, Along with the rest of the night sky, 
It just, uh, it's more intense when you're that far away from people and the stars twinkle like you wouldn't ever believe that they could twinkle. It's definitely something that I uh, would love to show people that I love. I also think that experiencing uh, winter seasons in Antarctica is pretty special. Uh, I've wintered over at McMurdo Station, which is far away from Palmer Station, um, six times. And uh, it's much colder there in the winter, and it's much darker there in the winter. And I think in those times, I've been able to find a real quiet place in myself and a quiet place in my heart that I don't think that I would have found not having that experience. And um, I miss it. I miss it now that I'm not doing winter seasons anymore. It's, uh, It's a pretty cool thing. Otherwise, just being able to walk on land that you're definitely the first person to walk on because these glaciers are receding so quickly, uh, that's something you know no person has ever walked on the land that you're walking on. And that happens. That's a very common experience um, for those of us who go wandering back here. Um, Being able to just kind of sit in this part of the continent and watch the penguins and the whales. And if I want to watch a penguin for eight hours, I can do that. And I can just have that animal observation moment. And uh, that's really special to me. And when I worked at the South Pole, um, is a completely different experience than working at McMurdo or Palmer. South Pole is very flat, very white, and very cold. And there is a part of that station that we call the end of the world or the end of the earth um, that I like to walk. And it's just really where they stopped grooming the footprint of station because it's nothing but big snowdrifts as far as the eye can see. And when you kind of step off of that spot where they stop grooming and just sort of look out across the big, big white expanse of Sestrugi and big hard-packed snow and just know that sort of raw Antarctica, I think that is the time that I've felt in, in the most appropriate way as small as I should feel in this world. There's nowhere else I've ever felt smaller, and it just seemed like I should feel that small. It was a really kind of unique and amazing feeling. And I think that's something that, that I only have been able to feel in that place. So those are just a few of the, the ways that this continent blows my mind all the time. And um, I haven't gotten sick of it yet. I learn something new every year. There's been no season in Antarctica that has rolled out the same way um, yet. And so, yeah, it's one of the big reasons I keep coming back. I really, really like this continent. Yeah, that sounds like it's got room there for some really surreal, surreal experiences. Yeah, it's true. How much freedom of movement do you have? Like you said, when you wander off, is it, is it kind of just well up to you? It's designated areas. It's designated areas. Well, uh, where we can go to. So there are islands around here that are protected for animal breeding purposes or just some that are just protected because they don't they want as little human interference in those places as can be. And so we're not really allowed to go to those islands. Um, as far as walking goes, you know, it depends on the station that you're at. South Pole, you can walk anywhere, but you're only going to find flat and white. McMurdo Station has a lot more people, and uh, it's harder to keep track of everyone. So there are more designated trails and pathways that you would go on at McMurdo Station. Here at Palmer, it's uh, it's just it's contained by the fact that it's sort of island culture. So you can wander across the uh, rocks and the the snow of the places that are open to us for non-wildlife reasons and designated safe by our safety experts who kind of suss out where we shouldn't be walking. Um, so in that way, we can really wander at will at, at this station. Um, every place kind of has its different rules. 
outside of like the hours that you work, what's what's the social life like at the station? Well, at the station that I'm at right now, we are a smaller population. We're about 45 people at our height. Right now, we're about 40. Um, and... And that's just a different social dynamic, right? So it's um, more family style here. It's people play a lot of games. People go for a lot of walks. Um, I, we all have our hobbies. There are some people who are knitters. There are some people who really like to watch TV and movies. Some people who read. I like to do music. Um, and so here, it's a little bit more make-your-own-adventure Um at a place like McMurdo Station, which has a thousand people in the summer, it's much, much exponentially bigger than Palmer Station. They have designated areas like a, a big gym that has a regulation-sized basketball court and volleyball court in it, and aerobics gyms, and uh, there are intramurals, and there are places that you could have a dance party if you wanted to. There's a lot more um, people doing music, like bands, and tons of bands come together at McMurdo Station. I guess anything that you could, any hobby that you could bring or do that might fit in your suitcase on an airplane is being done um, in Antarctica. Um, there are also people who are wildly creative on this continent, and many people are that way and come down to Antarctica looking for other creative people. And so you get people doing film projects, or you get people doing music projects, or you get people doing art shows, or just really anything that you can think of. So there are, uh, in grand tradition of the first explorers who would do little performances for each other, still that sort of thing going on today. Uh, we also, um, every week, all of the stations do this. Once a week, we have a science lecture. So the grantees who are working on sort of the big research questions that you tend to work on down here, um, one group a week will get up and, and talk to all of us and their colleagues about what they are learning. And so that obviously is a is a real treat to hear and be a part of as well. Yeah, that sounds great. Having sort of being let in on that scientific work that's going on all around you down there. Yeah, it's really cool. It's very interactive, especially at the smaller stations, uh, South Pole and Palmer Station. We just have a higher ratio of grantees to contract workers at those places. And so you're really able to have great conversations with people who are very intelligent and making huge discoveries all the time. So I, I want to ask what games are being played down there. I'm going to guess Settlers of Catan, but. Oh, games like board games. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think if you can, <laughs> if you can play it, you could name it and it's being played. Uh, cribbage is huge at at least a couple of the stations. People will fight for the cribbage bracelet and there's cribbage tournaments. Um, I know there's got to be a crowd that plays the Settlers of Catan. There's, I, here there is a crowd playing, I'm going to mess this up, first person shooter game of which I can't remember the name of. <laughs> I don't think it's <laughs> I don't know. I'm bad at the video games, but there's definitely a group of people uh, playing video games and a group of people who get together and play Dungeons and Dragons here at Palmer Station. Um, Scrabble. I know Scrabble ha has is something that people go head to head uh, pretty intensely at at McMurdo Station. Um, and then, of course, there's just intramurals like Basketball League or Volleyball League or Dodgeball League and all of those, you know, more active, physically active sports, too. So, I mean, a thousand people at, at that McMurdo Station. That's <laughs> there's a lot going on there. Right. Yeah. So how did you 
how did you get down to Antarctica? Like, what brought you there? Well, I guess I heard about it from a childhood friend who was barely an acquaintance who then mentioned that her cousin years ago had been a load planner at McMurdo Station in Antarctica. And I think that at that moment was the first time I realized I've never thought about going to Antarctica before. I didn't know that one could do that without being on some mad expedition. And also, wow, somebody will pay me to go to Antarctica. So I think I filed it away in my mind, having heard that, well, obviously I'm going to go. And then just sort of took a couple years to figure out how to get there. And um, yeah, took the first job opportunity that I could have and came down. And I've been here ever since. Um, I think people have that reaction when they hear you're working in Antarctica. They'll say one of two things. They'll either say, why would you want to go there? Or they say, how can I get there? And so I was one of those, how can I get there people? Yeah, I think that question says more about the person asking than the person they're asking. Oh, for sure. And understandably, it's definitely not for everyone, right? You give up a lot of things by being um, that are valuable to a lot of people by coming away to work. So it definitely has to fit your personality type. It's certainly it's certainly not for everybody. Yeah. What are what are some of those things that you think you give up and which ones are are you kind of easier to accept? Um, I guess for me, it doesn't really feel like giving up. But I think that for some people, if you would want to raise a family and have young kids, you certainly wouldn't be able to do that. I don't think as easily if you were a multi-year contract worker in Antarctica. People do it, and I think they're really good parents who do it, but that would be a difficult have its own difficulties and challenges. Um, it's not something that I feel like I'm giving up, but uh, for sure people might uh, feel that way. Um, when you're a transient person, of course, I think all contract workers know um, you won't ever have that life where you live in a neighborhood for decades, decades, and sort of build that community around you and maybe have your relatives living around you and your close friends always living around you. Although, I mean, I have always close friends in Antarctica who happen to be around me, but we're not, you know, really settled here. So if that's a life that that would bring you fulfillment, um, contract work is probably not the place for that either. But for me, I find this lifestyle uh, works really well for for me and the people I love. So that's why I do it. And it doesn't feel like a hardship in that way. I mean, one thing, as a as a contract worker, of course, you're giving up steady insurance and steady 401k plans and a lot of the uh, backbone and like uh, the, the safety net that you might have in some other jobs. So that certainly is something to think about when you do contract work. Um, so yeah, there are things you, you can't have everything. I think um, for me, the things I gain from doing contract work are outweigh those the things that are are valuable and that I'm not not being able to do because I'm here. And so when you say contract work, it's it's uh what's a, the normal length for a contract down there? Uh the contracts are of all lengths, so uh, many nations have different ways that they do it. Uh but for the United States program, I believe the longest that we can stay in Antarctica is 14 months. Uh, that may have changed, uh, but I know that I stayed for 14 months and I was right on the cusp of that I was going to have to leave the continent before I came back. Um, some contracts are, are the length of even a month 
or two months. A normal season at the at Palmer Station, where I am right now, is six months for summer, and then a winter crew will come in for six months. Um, some some places will do eight month winters, uh, and it's just it's varying lengths. But you can find uh, depending on what you do, um, work for a little bit of time or work for a longer amount of time. And your your first opportunity when you got down there, what what was your first job? Well, the first job I had, I had chosen from three job offers that I had. Um, the job offer that I chose was to be a lead janitor at McMurdo Station, <laughs> which was a blast. I, I also had an opportunity to go and wash dishes at South Pole Station or be a dispatcher for the fire department at McMurdo Station. Um, but I chose being a lead janitor, which meant I had a team of maybe six or seven other janitors that we would have a certain area of responsibility um, for station. And then the next year I went on to manage all of the janitors, 20 plus uh, people, and then sort of took the trajectory that kept on going through station services, often led me to things like running a store or running the post office or the same sort of stuff that I'm doing here. It's had different names, different places. Um, but that's what I did. You find a lot of very educated people <laughs> washing dishes in Antarctica. It's really your way to get there without paying somebody else to bring you there. Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the things I've heard the most is, you know, the janitors all have PhDs and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, not all the janitors have PhDs, but it wouldn't be rare for uh, people doing the dishwashing and janitoring to have master's degrees and PhDs. That's definitely... Uh, a few people every year are going to have that qualification. Um, lots of times it's people who have come down to Antarctica as grantees, done their field work, and then decided they wanted to come back. And that was really the only way, you know, once funding is up for the project that they were on, to come back. So I think um, that's where you get a lot of people coming into those roles. Um, but there's, you know, there's there's jobs of all sorts, especially at McMurdo Station. McMurdo Station is a fairly unique station in Antarctica, in Antarctica, even among other countries. There's really nothing of its size around. And the many, many specialties of jobs that are there um, make it very likely that if you have American working rights, that you could find something that you could do there. So I mentioned dishwashers and janitors, obviously the whole galley side. There's all the levels of trades and um, there are people who support the field science. There's a whole fire department because we have an airfield, and so the FAA requires that we have some fire service there to support the planes coming in and out. There's departments that fuel. There's departments that shuttle people back and forth. Um, obviously, a much larger management structure. Uh, there's the whole logistics side of things. There's a whole waste stream um, of you know people who deal with the solid and hazardous waste. So I, I know there's many, many, many more jobs. I'm not even yeah a whole mechanics area. So um, basically, it's this whole Sesame Street of who are the people in your neighborhood, and if you fill one of those jobs, um, you have a chance of getting a job working in Antarctica. What was the process like before you got the job offers? Did you apply online? 
Um, I did not. At that time, the uh, contract was run by a company, well, by a company called, it was run by Raytheon. And when Raytheon was running this, they would have these job fairs in Denver. And so I flew from Minnesota to Denver thinking, oh man, I'm going to be special. I flew in and that'll maybe make people sit up and take notice at my resume. And I got in these enormously long lines, even to wash dishes, where probably a hundred people were waiting in line and everybody had flown in from all over the United States. And I just realized, wow, that it's a good thing that I flew in (laughs) because I don't know how I would have gotten a job otherwise. But um, that's how I got that job. And then I kind of went from table to table and tried to convince people that I was their perfect candidate. Um, But I know people do apply online, right? And depending on the year and depending on your specialty, sometimes it's actually hard to find people to fill some of those jobs. So it's sort of just luck of the draw. Um, But there's definitely... uh, places that you can go online that you can find out what the jobs are. It's the USAP portal. Um, And I wish that I knew off the top of my head what that website is, but I will find it and we'll let you know (laughs) what it is. Um, But there uh, are certainly ways to find all of the job listings and there are many, many jobs. So it's just a matter of finding, finding the listing and applying for the right thing. Being flexible helps. So if you are able to, uh, maybe not get the job the first time you apply, but just let people know that you're still really interested and you'll you'll still be able to kind of leave at the drop of a hat um, makes it very, very possible for you to get a job. Yeah, persistence and flexibility are the name of the game in seasonal work. Yes, exactly. Yep, absolutely. So out of all the jobs you've had in Antarctica, which has been your favorite? You know, I think I... It's hard to say. I've... I can't really say which station I like better. And I've had a lot of really great times and a lot of the roles that I've been in. Um, I will say I like this one as much as I've loved this one as much as I've loved any. I really just like being in this part of Antarctica. It's uh, all of the pretty pictures that you see the tourists take uh, are pretty much coming from this part of the continent. And there's a reason it's just beautiful. It's the most wildlife down here. Um, the most glacier blue and, uh, it's just got some really beautiful things to see. So I think, um, I'm in it for the place that it gets me to, which is Antarctica. Um, and the jobs are fun and it's great working with dynamic people who are adventurers and who are intelligent and who are really miraculous in the way they, they get so much work done and solve so many problems. It always just blows me away how um, these USAP contractors can just figure so many things out. So all of that, of course, I enjoy. Um, but I, uh, if I had career aspirational goals, I'd be aiming for different jobs. I'm here for the place, and that's a beautiful place. It's this beautiful continent. Yeah, and just like you said, I mean, the place, there's so many draws that you've mentioned in there. I mean, being surrounded by amazing people and the location, of course, and being able to do all those cool things and seeing the different animals and jumping from different islands. It's just, I mean, it sounds even better than everybody always says it is, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to put a caveat on that because I've come to Palmer Station. This is my fourth season here at Palmer Station. But that would not necessarily, I guess this is a show for people who are interested in seasonal work. So if you're going through McMurdo Station or you're going through South Pole Station, which is the most likely place for you to get a job just for sheer numbers reasons, your experience, depending on your job, is going to be possibly very different than that. If you come, if you come and you say you're going to take a job dishwasher, 
dishwashing at McMurdo Station, you're going to be indoors a lot, dishwashing a lot. McMurdo Station is much further south than Palmer Station, and so sometimes the place just freezes in completely. You'll see hardly any wildlife. You might not see a penguin the entire time that you're there. Um, The town, a lot of people say, is an ugly town. I guess they're probably right. I find a ton of beauty in that town, and it just rocks my boat all the time because people are so creative and funny, and there's so many creative, funny people in one place. But if you're going for aesthetics alone, McMurdo Station is not going to be the most picturesque place. It's volcanic dust and grit, so it's very dirty. It gets in everything. You're not going to see the pretty kinds of glaciers that I'm seeing over here on the peninsula. So... um, So eyes wide open when you take these contractor jobs. You're there to work, and we work, you know, I don't know, I think probably 55 to 60 hours a week. We have one day off a week, um, and the shifts can be grueling shifts. And so I would hate for anybody to come down the thinking that they're there only for the adventure parts of seeing Antarctica. The adventure is the experience being a contract worker, emphasis on the work part in Antarctica. And then the Antarctica bits that you can kind of seep in on the sides are just the advantage. Um, I do think that sometimes people go down and get disillusioned when they take, especially some of those McMurdo jobs. Or even here at Palmer Station, if they're just not used to the intensity of the work, the amount of responsibility that you have, um, the amount of jobs that you have to carry at some of the smaller stations, Um, certainly people come down and have really crappy years despite being surrounded by some really gorgeous things. So, you know, eyes wide open if you accept a contract in the program. It's a great place to work, but you'll work hard and you might not see all of the Antarctica you want to see. In fact, the Antarctica you see might be a lucky thing that happens once in your season or twice in the way that you might imagine it in your mind. So um, you have to go in with your eyes wide open about that. It's not a surfboard on a rainbow all the time. No, it really isn't. And the the dude bros and the you know you know the um Uber in it for the backpack and world types uh sometimes come down and they don't have I would say really fantastic seasons for themselves or the people around them. Um you have to have a work ethic and you have to be ready to nail it, you know, and come in and feel overwhelmed by the work you're going to do, feel like you're going to work a lot of hours and you're going to do physical labor and um, just uh, you have to be in the right. It's not a traveler mindset. It's a, it's a working mindset. Yeah. It sounds similar in the way that Hawaii and Alaska have that feeling of, you know, if you, if you can't make it there, the place spits you out pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And so, you know, anybody who's really interested in seasonal work and is absorbing your, your media, they're going to know, um, what contract work is all about. And it's definitely uh, long hours and can be very physical labor. And in some places in the cold, I can't imagine some of these folks. I haven't had a job at the South Pole where I've had to be out in the South Pole um, weather for all day, day after day after day. Those guys and women are exhausted. It just takes a lot out of them. So um, that's part of the challenge and the love of it and experience too. But um, I think you have to be used to work and be able to jump in working hard when you get here. When we were emailing you, you had mentioned that you had been a TV reporter and uh, a travel nurse, and so you've, you've had quite a few jobs that you've done. Tell me about your thoughts on seasonal work and some specific jobs or experiences that kind of created that feeling for you. Yes, this is the third, I guess it's turned into sort of a career for me now, my third career of my life. And I'm very satisfied in Antarctica. I like it a lot. 
But I think there are some people who come here who are, they, they start out here, they found this place very young in their adult life, and they've spent a lot of time here. And then I think they find that maybe they have some other things to prove to themselves that they need to know about themselves and the way they can be in this world. And so um, I see a lot of people leaving here to move on to other careers where I sort of did it the opposite way where I had a career that I really liked and I was good at. And I decided to try travel nursing because I wanted to travel at will a little bit more. When you're a TV news reporter, you're really uh, beholden to the places that have TV markets, of which there are only so many in the United States, or at least when I was working in news um, and it was broadcast news only, you were really had to be going to the cities that had actual news stations in them to find those jobs. And then there was just a ton of competition, even for the smallest little on-air reporting job. And so I felt, oh, I'm not going to be able to, you know, go and live where I want to live and be where I want to be when I'm young and can enjoy those things. So uh, doing some hiking around Mount Rainier, I ran into somebody who had done three months working in Atlanta and she was just finishing three months in Seattle and then she was going to New York and the company was paying for her to move there, paying for her apartment there, paying for all of her living expenses, getting a really high rate of pay and then she would get to go to see these other places which I thought sounded great and what she was doing was travel nursing and so I said I can, I will do nursing in order to have a life of travel travel. That sounds fantastic. I would love to work for a three-month contract and then take some time off. That sounds great. So that was my first foray, I think, into the thought that, oh, I can do this contract work as a lifestyle. That sounds great. Um, So I did leave, and I went and got my um, bachelor's degree in nursing after having worked as a journalist for, I don't know, six and a half years, something like that, and then um, used the wonderfulness of a travel nurse schedule where you do end up with some time that you can schedule away to go to that job fair in Denver. And once I found Antarctica, I really haven't looked back since then. Um, But I think I was always kind of aiming for the lifestyle that let me see a lot of things um, in person. So that was journalism. And then immerse myself in those places for longer amounts of time, which was travel nursing, um, to finding a place that I was really curious about and and staying here for a while, uh, just to check out the different places of Antarctica, really. Um, and that's what my life has become now. So I like this place, and I would I will continue to kind of look at opportunities to see other parts of Antarctica. Um, it's a it's a continent where if you kind of superimposed it over a map of the United States, stretches the width of the United States. So as different as Florida and Oregon can be, um, Antarctica has those different places and things to see too. So um, for me, it's still just a chance to see as much of this really cool continent as I can. Yeah, you've made big jumps in sort of career paths a couple times now that I think a lot of people have certain fears or, you know, misgivings about making that choice, but you've made it and done it successfully. How do you, how do you think about those choices now on the other side, having done it and been successful in changing tracks? Well, I remember leaving when I left my TV reporting job to go into nursing. That was one of the scariest things for me that I had ever done. Um, because 
TV, do it, being a reporter was a lot of fun. I really liked my coworkers. I really liked the job that I got to do. We got to do cool things all the time. I loved working on a deadline. I loved the action of it. And I loved that it was just sort of a kind of a cool job to have. And so to leave that to say, well, now I'm going to go be a registered nurse, that just was scary to me. And um, so just making that career change in general was scary. And then, but I'm proud of myself for doing it. Um, the other thing that was scary was leaving, even just going to a contracting lifestyle, um, even though that that particular contracting lifestyle was really well paid. If you're a travel nurse, when you take the shifts that people don't want to take, they'll compensate you to take those shifts. Um, but that was scary to not be a nine to fiver, to not have this locked in this is my employer who is going to take care of me and I have these benefits and if I just stay on this track. And even in TV news, it's sort of a logical game. At the time, I could have gone from one TV station to the next TV station and um, just kind of stayed in that solid, dependable kind of, yes, proper working life kind of lifestyle. And I would have felt more secure. Some part of me was scared to leave that way of being. And then... Um, and then so 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 travel nursing um so I, so travel nursing requires you to be a nurse first not traveling and so i spent time in wisconsin um doing that nursing and so travel nursing i had really just dipped my toe in and that and just leaving the normal again salaried 9 to 5 working world to sort of you're going to make your money in bursts but then you're on your own for a second you got to figure stuff out sort of cyclically um, was one jump. And then the next jump was leaving the country. I had never lived outside of the United States before. And so um, kind of going as far away as I went to Antarctica um, was another sort of mental leap. Uh, but I realized that once I took that step of not just sort of going a known pathway, that the details just sort of worked themselves out, worked themselves out. And it wasn't ever as scary as I might have made it to be in my mind. Just like so many things I think we can do as humans. Once you do it, you take that little step over and you look behind. You're like, why did I not do this before? Like, that was so easy. Why don't more people do this? They'll just see how easy it is when they do. Um, but it is scary to kind of look at that leap. And especially when you don't know anybody who's doing their life that way um, to say, oh, is this going to be me? I don't know. Um, I, for me, it's been just personally really rewarding. It's the only kind of life that I would have wanted to have. I, I, um, I, yeah, I don't look back and think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that ever. I never do that. Just full speed ahead. Yeah, full speed ahead or just um, follow instincts. Okay, so I'm older now, of course, than when I used to, when I was making these decisions very early on in my life. And I think... When I turned 40 at the South Pole, I had this epiphany where I looked around and I said, you know what, this is an awesome life that I'm leading. Like I just thought about the, the parts of my life that were and and everything that made up my life. And if I wrote down all the things I loved about my life, it would be this amazing, cool life that I would have never imagined as a kid. If I was five years old and was told what I was going to be doing and who I was going to be at age 40, I would have gotten so excited. I would have peed my pants. I would have been just so thrilled about that future. And 
I know that there are people in my life who are very, very dear friends to me. And if they had been making decisions for me based on what they thought would be the best choices, their goal being to make me the happiest they could, the choices that they would have made for me would not have led to the life that I'm leading right now. They would have gotten me to a different space, all full of love, all trying to make the best choices to me. I would have never gotten to this life that I really, really love. And so only one person was making those choices for me, um, augmented by an acknowledged huge amount of luck and privilege. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very, very lucky person. But I also made some decisions. And... And those decisions led to a life that I think is fantastic. And so I'm going to stop mistrusting that person past Carrie who told me, take this move, take that move. Um, She's done a pretty good job so far, a better job than anybody else could have done. So I think in that way, it wasn't necessarily full speed ahead, but it was, I've got a gut feeling about this thing. I think it could be cool. So I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work, then I try something else. So I don't think I ran, but I think I was always looking out for something that sounded cool. And if a thing sounded cool, I might as well take that. And someone was going to give me the opportunity, I might as well take it. And I think that's sort of the philosophy that it's worked really well for me. Yeah, and this this is similar to the line that really stuck out to me in our emails. You said, I made a choice to do as many interesting things as I can in my life. Yeah. For sure. We had to write these obituaries. I don't know if you did this when you were like fifth or sixth grade, but one of the writing exercises that we had to do was to write like, if somebody was going to write your obituary for the, in the future, what would you want it to say? And I remember at that age, and it would have been elementary school or middle school age, that I just wanted to have an obituary that had all sorts of random stuff in it, <laughs> which I think... If I drop dead tomorrow, I would tick those boxes. So that's cool. Hopefully there will be even more random stuff to add to that. But I kind of want an obituary that would just have like people just be reading and like just be not understanding what even happened there. (laughs) So what are what is in the future, if if you could guess or are there some things on the horizon coming up? Um, gosh, I there's. There's all sorts of ways that my mind branches out, and I'm always listening for opportunity, Um, even though I enjoy very much what I do right now. I would love to see more of this continent, and so maybe that means having to jump to some of the ships that go around and see a little bit more of it. Um, I'm very interested in the polar parts of our world and the things going on in both the Arctic and the Antarctic. Um, So uh, there are ways that you can go more stable career track in all of those fields. And so I just I'm always listening. Um, If There's something out there that seems sort of interesting to me. Um, I'm hopefully going to make some Burning Man art this year. So... (laughs) That's something exciting. It's it's uh, nice and when you have some time and some of these jobs to put your brain towards more creative pursuits. So uh, that's something that um, is exciting for me is just examining how to do some visual art and bring, in this case, some Antarctica to the desert, the Black Rock Desert, um, during the summer. Um, I don't know. I, I also like to try to do as much outreach as I can. Right now, it's as simple as just an Instagram account. Can I plug my Instagram? Yeah, it's simply Antarctica. What is it? That's all my, that's all my pictures. It's simply Antarctica is the Instagram where I put up all of the great pictures that I take at Palmer station, which 
there are many, not even because I'm a great photographer, but because it's just so full of things that are just so cool for people to see. Um, and I try to give a little bit of a, a little spiel in every picture about some of the things that you could see or some of the things that might surprise you about Antarctica. So I intend that to be a little bit educational for people. Um, but yeah, also looking at ways to continue to outreach to people about this really amazing continent. Um, it is profound, I think, some the way that we as a world go about doing business down here. And um I'm just really proud of being part of this effort of humanity trying to do work for other humans good um, at all times and being very interactive and being non-proprietary and really working together. I think we don't probably do this as well anywhere on this globe, maybe the space program. The space program is a lot of nations working together really well um, and Antarctica too. And I actually can't name another place where we've really tried to be our best as humans to each other and to the land as much as we have tried historically in Antarctica. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way of putting it. It's sort of a unique situation in that. Oh, yeah. I just, I, I feel so privileged and lucky and honored to be an Antarctican. You know, human history here is not that long, maybe just over 100 years, give or take, maybe a little bit more. But humans have not been around this at all. And so there's just, there's not native culture down here, really. There's not, none of us are supposed to be here. And so the way we act and the way we think about the place, and I think we're all trying to be so careful about protecting the place, um, becomes human history in Antarctica. And so, you know, people have gone at it in a super explorer way, and you can argue whether or not is that a, really a way to respect a place. Or, you know, there have been times in history where people have not focused on environmentalism as much as we know we need to be focusing on it now. And so there are the, there's blips in human history, even in Antarctica, but for the most part, we've been trying. And so to be really part of that still early on grand tradition of being an Antarctican, there's just not that much human history. I'm just as much a part of it as anybody. And I just really, really think that's an, such a cool thing to say that will be part of my life. Yeah. And so to kind of bring it back to where you're from, what is, what's a lesson you learned growing up in Minnesota that's helped you working and traveling as an adult? Mm. Well, I think... The lessons of growing up in a very small community, I grew up on a farm close to, but far out of, many little farm towns. And so that um, knowledge of being able to get on with people and tune into people and care about people on more of a way than you would just care about strangers or people that you might have in just a nine to five, but you leave them behind job um, when you go home in, I guess I call the other world, some people call it the real world, um, those were good lessons. Um, I think the my loving to look around at some of the natural things just reminds me of the walks I would take as a kid along the country roads. So I can stare forever at the Antarctic waters and the rocks, and I have my favorite little rock formations, and I think a lot of that comes in tuning in as a country kid. Um and then you so when you grow up in a snowy place, you kind of already are born with a a knowledge of 
knowing how to layer properly and knowing that you don't want your skin to get cold. And, you know, you hear the back then you we would always have this the snow kits in our car that would save us if we got buried, <laughs> buried by snow when we were in our car. And so you always kind of had a winter survival on your mind. So I think growing up in Minnesota was helpful coming to Antarctica um, in that, you know, it, the cold didn't surprise me. Right. You're so, resourceful. I know that now. there are other ways, but those are some of the ways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you just kind of and also have a sort of delight for the prettiness of the snow and the white too. You know, it's just some of that feels a little bit like home. So is there anything else you wanted to add or something you think that we should talk about? Um I guess I would just say for people who are listening to your podcast and who haven't done seasonal work, um, I would say if it's in your heart to try it, try it. You could always go back to the world nine to five. It's something that is very possible. So if you have that little hint of adventure in your heart, um, don't let your life pass you by without testing that out. Um, there are sometimes I look around at the way that I've been able to be in this world and I just have no idea how I got here and how how it is that I'm getting to have the adventures that I do. It doesn't, it seems like something that's bigger than me. I feel like I'm the Ugg boot infinity scarf of Antarctica. Like the people around me are so much more adventurous and cool and do such cool things. <laughs> but here I am, you know, this like small town farm girl hanging out in Antarctica. Um, and it's just, it's so possible. I was talking to some elementary school kids yesterday and just telling them that they should know right now, if it's in your heart to see this place, you absolutely can. You can. You just figure out how to do it. It's People do it all the time. And I would say for even just seasonal work, if Antarctica is not your thing, there's, all re there's also tons of other great seasonal work to be done in this world. And if you're feeling like that's a spot where your head and your heart needs to go to sometime in your lifetime, don't delay. Do it. It's very possible. You can always go back to, to the norm core life. That's all. Well said. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.